this song, Amazing Grace, it was written many, many years ago by a guy called John Newton. He was an English guy. 1779, he penned this song. And when we sing Amazing Grace, we think, man, this guy must have been incredible. And he was. When he penned this, he had had an amazing encounter with Jesus. But leading up to this, he wasn't so amazing. He grew up in church and in an early age of his life, he had had a few encounters with death. And so he had literally left the church. He said, I don't want any more to do with Jesus. I don't want any more to do with the church. And he went on a pretty crazy path. He was really into boats and ships. And so he went down to the local dockyard and he got a job on one of the ships. His passion grew for ships and he actually was able to get onto the British Navy. And he was on the ships for the British Navy. At the time, the British Empire was pretty big throughout the world. But something happened while he was in the Navy and he got kicked out of the Navy. He still had a passion for the ships and going throughout the oceans, but he couldn't do it now for the military. So he started going back down to the dockyards and he started talking to these guys that were running slave ships. At that point in England, the slave trade was huge. He got work on to one of the slave ships and he was now going all over the world, going to Africa and then taking all of these slaves to different parts of the British Empire. This is the same guy that wrote Amazing Grace a few years later. During his time on the slave ships, he became pretty well known for a bad thing. He became well known because he was one of the most godless men on the planet. You met John Newton and his language would be terrible. What he would talk about would be terrible. The way that he spoke about Christians was terrible. And he actually worked his way up to becoming a captain of a slave ship. Things happened in his life. He was starting to get ill. He met a young lady and it was one of those God moments that happened to him where God shook his life up. He realized the sin that he was in. He realized what he was doing was wrong And all of a sudden there was a turnaround in his life. For the convictions that God had given him, he now had to leave the slave ship trade. He now had to move away from that. He immersed himself into the church and became a Church of England minister. He started teaching and preaching about Jesus and he was getting well known for it. At the time, there was this young member of parliament, uh, Congress is what you would know it as, but member of parliament, that's where the major decisions are made in England. There was this young kid about 28 years of age. 
And he'd been fighting for a cause, but he was ready to throw in the towel. He was ready to say, I'm done with it. I can't take this, the government stuff that's going on behind the scenes. I can't take everything that's going on, so I just want to throw in the towel. But then his path met John Newton. John turned to this young man. His name was William Wilberforce. And he said to Wilberforce, you've got to serve God where you're already at, in Parliament. This cause that God has given you, you've got to chase after. You've got to go after it. John Newton had experienced the slave trade. You see, what William Wilberforce's cause was, was to abolish. He wanted to get rid of slavery in England. He saw what was happening and it was killing the nation. The slave trade was designed at that time for the wealthy and for those in governmental powers. And it was killing the nation, which then was killing the British Empire. Wilberforce went on for many, many years. You see, he had youth on his side. He was 28 years of age when he started. But now, at the age of 74, 46 years later... Wilberforce is still fighting for this cause. He had taken this this slavery abolishment thing to Parliament 11 times in those 46 years. And every time the government said, no, we are not getting rid of slavery. But in 1833, 46 years later, on July 26th, Slavery was no more in the British Empire. After 11 times of going in front of Parliament, it was gone. The crazy thing was this, the day that it ended, William Wilberforce died three days later. He truly lived for the cause. He didn't want any more slavery. No more slaves. Today I want to go into scripture and I want to talk about a bigger version of slavery. But but before I get into it, I know today there are going to be things that are said that will change your life forever. But you have got to be open to it today. If you want to leave the way you came in, that's okay. But today, I really believe that God has placed a word in me that is going to be life-changing. There are going to be things that will happen today. But right now, you have got to be open to it. So here's what's happening in Scripture. We're going to Exodus 14. The Egyptians have been in slavery. They've been in chains for years. They knew what it was like to work with chains on them. Physically knew what it was like to work with chains on them. 
The children of Israel had been slaves to the Egyptians for many years and what they were doing was they would be in the palaces and they would be cooking for Pharaoh and his, and his men and they would be out in the fields, they would be sowing and then they would be reaping harvests. They would be out making bricks so that they could build the pyramids and build these temples. The children of Israel had lived in slavery for years and for some, this is all they knew. They didn't know life without chains. They didn't know life of freedom. It was miserable. But in Exodus 14, we see this story to unfold. You see, Moses had come on the scene. Moses had been the one that God had chosen to lead Israel out of Egypt. In previous chapters, Moses had led them out. There there has been Pharaoh's rule over them for all these years, but now Moses steps in and they're now fleeing Egypt. There's over two million people. Think about it. Two million people with Moses. And they are now getting away from Egypt as far as they can. God is directing them by day. There is a pillar of clouds. And then at night there is a pillar of fire. And the people are just following it. They are being directed by God. But we get... To Exodus 14. And we see something happening. First off in verse 2. God redirects them next to the sea. They were going a different way. But you see in verse 2. That God redirects them. And they are now, now camped right next to the sea. Pharaoh at that time has a change of heart too. He now wants to go after the slaves. He's now realizing, wait, who is going to do all this work for us? The slaves have gone. How are we going to build the pyramids and the temples? How are we going to feed? How are we going to get everything out of the fields? We've got to go after them. And so now the Israelites see Pharaoh's men coming towards them. They see Pharaoh's men coming towards them and all of a sudden they flip back into a slave mindset. They they hadn't known freedom. Their captivity to them was their comfort zone. And so in Exodus 14 verse 10 you read this. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they were, they were becoming very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way? bringing us out of Egypt. 
Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we can serve the Egyptians? For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Now, they wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go back to what they were used to. Even though it was abusive, they still wanted to go back there. What had had bound them up, what had chained them up, they wanted to go back. You know, my time as Dream Center director, I came across a lot of ladies. It, It was more ladies than men, but the majority were ladies who were in abusive relationships. You see, abuse and slavery changes the way you think about yourself. Abuse changes the way you think about the betterment for yourself. I would speak to ladies who had been verbally or physically or mentally abused and they would say things like this. Well, I'm sure it's going to get better if I go back. Or or they would say, it's a better life that I would have than what I've got now. Or they would say, well, I'm sure I deserve to be in this situation. Or they would say, I'm sure he still loves me, so, so I'm going to go back. They had become codependent on their abuser. Their fear and bondage was not making them see straight. They were in a, in a slave mentality. God did not intend for us to be bound up. He didn't intend to us for us to be ruled over. And if you are here today going through some of that stuff that I've just said, you need to seek help. You need to look for someone that you can trust in. If you're in an abusive relationship right now, get to a neighbor, get to a friend, get to a counselor, come to the church. Whatever you need to do, get out. You can do it with God's help, but guess what? God places professionals right in the way so that they can help you even more to get out and you not be abused anymore. Moses is pretty calm at this point. Now, if I was leading the children of Israel and hearing this grumbling, um, I'd be like, you ungrateful lot. I mean, I would be like, I left my job. I went to Pharaoh's court. I faced Egyptians. I risked everything. I even went to Pharaoh and said, there's going to be these plagues that are going to happen. And it happened. I even went to Pharaoh and said, your son's going to die just like the firstborn of every other son right here in this, in this city. And they died. His son died. I was the one risking my neck and going and telling him what was about to happen. Not the two million miserable grumbling people. 
They were falling back into this mentality. And Moses now has to take a step back, a breather, before he speaks. And then he goes right to the heart of the issue. He had to turn their faith or their slave mindset to a faith mindset. Exodus 14 verse 13. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. He had to speak faith over them. The Israelites had been living in fear all these years. Fear had become their comfort zone. But God had a plan to raise up an advocate, a leader, to speak sense into what was going on. Moses does something here that I don't think a lot of people see. Moses speaks faith over the children of Israel. He says, do not fear. But he had no idea what he was going to do. He had no idea what was happening. Moses, this great leader, knew that God had been with them up to this point. He knew that God was not going to leave them there. And so he starts to speak faith over the crowd. Do not fear. Verse 15 confirms this. He has just done this little speech to two million people. Do not fear. And then verse 15 goes like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? He has just spoken faith over the people, but now Moses is going to God and saying, I have no idea what's going on. The people are really mad. And God says to him, what are you crying at me for? Moses had to see who God was. God was his protector, his healer, his provider, his father, his shield, his strength, his hope, his help in time of need. He had to rely on that, even though he did not know what to do. Sometimes we're always looking for a word from God. When all we've really got to do is get a picture of God. When we see who God is and what he's done in our lives. He's all we need. All we need. Now Moses was seeing what the children of Israel were seeing. Remember, God had placed them next to a sea. So they couldn't run anywhere. Their backs were against the sea. They're now seeing 
the Egyptians coming towards them. The army is on the way. You can see why the people have fear. But this leader stood and said, I do see what you see. But I know who God is and I know what he can do for us. He had to see beyond the circumstances and see who God really was. A few weeks ago, I heard of a story of a man in this nation who is a powerful leader. And the story gripped me. And so... Today, as, as I was preparing this, I just felt God saying, just show, show it. What you saw, show it. And it will fit right into what I'm trying to say. And so I would like you to pay, put your attention to the screen and hear this man's story. <clears throat> Warren Cain was like those Israelites with Moses. He saw the enemy approaching and his back was against the sea and he's saying, God, you've got to speak to me right now. I've I've got to do something here. I've got to be your vessel to bring change. Those prisoners, they no longer let chains define them. They don't let the prison bars define who they are. Because they know who they are in Jesus. They know who Jesus is. People going to Angola prison now may think, man, this is going to be the worst time of my life. But they don't really know that they're about to step into modern day revival. Although they're prisoners, they have found freedom. You see, they don't let the chains define them anymore. They don't let their past define them anymore. So, You have a warden who is open to hearing God's voice and saying, okay, tell me what I've got to do. And Moses was at that same place. As you read verse 16 through verse 30, after this encounter where he's been crying out to God and God says, why are you crying to me? All of a sudden, that next 15 verses or so, you see the plan that is about to happen. You've seen the Ten Commandments. Moses stands up, lifts his hands, Charlton Heston's there, and the sea parts. Well, that's what happened. In those 15 verses on, 14, 15 verses on, God is telling Moses, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go and stand right at the edge of the sea. You're going to lift your hands. The sea is going to part, and you're going to go through on dry land. It seemed impossible, but what else else did he have to rely on?
The miracle wasn't really the sea parting, although there's a few miracles that I would like to have been at, and that would have been one of them. But that really wasn't the miracle. The miracle is that God loved his people so much that he would split an ocean in half just to protect them and to demonstrate his love for them. This was a way that God could say, I'm serious, even though the ten plagues weren't enough, now the sea is splitting open and he is demonstrating his love. He's going to be saying, I'm not going to let you die, you're going to walk through on dry land. You're sitting in this room this morning and many of you are sitting with chains on. You're sitting with baggage from the past. But God's saying you don't have to be a slave anymore. If you have accepted Jesus into your life and you have said he's the way, the truth and the life, then you are free. You don't have to live like that anymore. You see, Jesus was our Moses. Jesus was our warden Cain. Jesus was our Wilberforce. Jesus came to break the chains of sin and death. He was our advocate. And we sit in church every week and we have the chains on. We don't have to have them anymore. They are gone. So you don't, don't need to be a slave to sin, a slave to fear, a slave to worry. You don't have to be a slave to your past or to your future. You don't have to be a slave to poverty or to wealth. You don't have to be a slave to your thought life. You don't have to be a slave to your secret life that no one sees. You don't have to be a slave to addictions. You don't have to be a slave to depression or oppression. You don't have to be a slave to anything that's going on. You don't have to be a slave to rejection. You don't have to be a slave to your imperfections. You don't have to be a slave anymore. God split the sea in half. God sent Jesus for you. That's enough. You don't have to live with chains anymore. Galatians 5.1, it says this. It was for freedom. Everyone say freedom. freedom. No, no. Everyone say freedom. freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore... Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. You don't have to be a slave anymore. You know, it's like the father is there. He has given given us his son. Jesus dies on the cross. And he says, okay. God takes the chains and he's like, I'm done with it. I am done with it. You, you don't need them anymore. And he, he throws them away. 
But then a few days down the road, we're like, where are them chains gone? Where, where are the abusers? Where are the things that I keep saying I, I, I need? And then you go back and you look for the chains and you grab the chains and you bring them back out. And it's like this tug of war with God and you throw them back down. And then God says, yes, but you don't need these anymore. And he throws them away. And you've got to realize you don't need the chains anymore. You don't need the chains anymore. There is a verse, there is a verse here that I skipped over. Because I want you to see where it was positioned. Moses has spoken faith over the people. He's told them, do not fear. But then... He goes and is crying to God. And in between that, that moment in time, there is a verse that jumped out at me. Verse 14. The Lord, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. L- listen to me. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. For some of you, that's hard. You want to know what's happening. You want to tell God how it's going to happen. And I'm sure that Moses heard from the children of Israel how this should have been done. But Moses makes this declaration again. He says, The Lord will fight for you while you are silent. He's telling them to be quiet, to be still, to be silent. As I was preparing this, I felt God nudge me a little bit on how to bring this service, this message to an end. I know that there's going to be public response at the end. God's just witnessed that in my heart, that we are going to publicly do something. But for, for the next two moments, we're going to be still. We're going to be silent. While we're silent, I want you to ask God, what chains do I still have in my life? What, what things are holding me back from pursuing God even more? In the next seven or eight minutes... God's going to speak in this room in a way that no preacher can. He's going to speak to you. We're going to take in just a moment a minute or so of silence. And in that minute, I want you to think about that question. What is holding you back from pursuing God even more? What is holding you back?
And at the end of that minute, you're going to see a song. There's going to be a video played. During that song, I want you to respond to God. For some of you, it's going to be standing with your hands raised as if it's freedom. For some of you, you're going to come to the altar and just sit and be still. For some of you, you will kneel at your chair. But let me read that list again. You're no longer a slave to sin. No longer a slave to fear and to worry. You're no longer a slave to your past or to your future. You're no longer a slave to poverty or wealth. You're no longer a slave to your thought life. You're no longer a slave to your private secret life. You're no longer a slave to addictions. You're no longer a slave to your insecurities or your depression or oppression. You're no longer a slave to your identity. You're no longer a slave to your rejection or your imperfections. Today is a day of declaration. I speak faith over you right now. Do not fear is what Moses said. Do not fear is what Andy says. So we are going to sit just for a minute in silence, just like Moses told the Israelites. And think about what is holding you back in your life. Let's be still. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for what you did on Calvary. That you became our advocate. You were saying, no more slaves, no more chains. Live in freedom. Live in freedom. God, I pray that we will remember this tomorrow, midweek, next week. That we don't need to go running after the chains anymore. You have given us freedom. Jesus, I pray that we will take this and live it. That we are free. We are free.
who the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus, we pray that we will grab a hold of that. We pray that we will grab a hold of that, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.